The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Oh, so my name is Maria Stratman. I'm here for Andrea, and I'll be here for the next two weeks also, and then she'll be here. She'll be back in three weeks. So, um, since we have three weeks, I've decided to uh, choose a topic that's going to run through those three weeks. And what I'd like to talk about are the unwholesome roots of suffering and the wholesome antidotes to those unwholesome roots. We're going to talk about greed, hatred, and delusion. So, you know, it's, it's well accepted. You, all, you often hear greed, hatred, and delusion sort of spun out of the mouth of Buddhists. You know, we want to get rid of greed, hatred, and delusion. And it seems like a really great idea, but what do we really mean when we say that? And what does it mean to get rid of it? And why do we want to get rid of it? And how is this about how we are in the world? And I, I like to look at it and say, basically what we're dealing with is seeing things as they are and allowing them to be as they are. It's not the same thing as saying, okay, I accept everything just the way it is and now I can go to sleep. It's really a lot more involved than that. And it really has to do with seeing things truly as they are. Not simple. Not simple. Seems, of course, we want to see things as they are. Of course we want to. So where comes greed, hatred, and delusion? I don't know about you, but these words actually are kind of icky words. I mean, I don't like to think of myself as greedy or full of hatred or deluded. But I can very honestly say that I am not free of greed, hatred, and delusion. So we have other words that we use for these. We use softer words that don't feel quite so icky. (laughs) We talk about desire, aversion or ill will, and confusion. And in a way, it's easier to relate to these words because you don't show up in this room if your heart is full of hatred. But a little bit of, I sure don't like that person. Yeah, we all have that. So greed, greed describes things like selfishness, inappropriate desire, grasping kind of desire, attachment. I must have this and I have to keep this. Grasping for happiness and satisfaction outside of ourselves. It's that looking outside of ourselves problem that really gets us stuck. That's where we get hung up. Hatred, we have aversion, ill will, uh, wishing bad consequences for other people, loathing toward unpleasant people. (laughs) even toward our own uncomfortable feelings. Delusion, confusion, bewilderment, uh, wrong views, misconception, misperception. Where I look at you and I say, how can you say that to me? And whatever you said didn't have anything to do with me. (laughs) These are where misperceptions come in. But they're all ways of craving for what isn't true. There's a craving that says, I want something to be different than it is. I want it to be different. It's wanting what we don't have. Now, sometimes we think, if only this much were true, everything would be better. If only this were true, Well, I don't know about you, but there are many things that I have wanted in my life that later I said to myself, whatever made me think I wanted that. 
not only do other things change, but we change. What we want, what we need, what we think we want, all changes. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start. I have two poems. And the first one is about wanting. So it's called The Mind Wanting More, and it's by Holly Hughes. Only a beige slat of sun above the horizon like a shade pulled not quite down. Otherwise, clouds. Sea rippled here and there, birds reluctant to fly. The mind wants just a shaft of sun to stir the great porridge of clouds and osprey to stitch the sea to sky with its barred wings. Some dramatic music, a symphony perhaps, Maybe a Chinese gong. But the mind always wants more than it has. One more bright day of sun, one more clear night in bed with the moon, one more hour to get the words right, one more chance for the heart in hiding to emerge from its thicket in dried grasses, as if this quiet day with its tentative light weren't enough, as if joy weren't strewn all around. I like this poem because the mind always wants more. And one of the most important things to realize when we start talking about greed and wanting is that wanting isn't bad. It is a very human thing. What we need to do is understand wanting, understand desire, be familiar with it, and especially be familiar with it in us, how we do it. So at, the, at the, the root, what we call the unwholesome root of suffering related to desire is, is this grasping, the greed part where we're leaning into it. I want it, I want it, I want it. Now, we all know about want. I mean, how, many, how many hundreds of things have you wanted already this morning? I wanted to wake up without the bad dream I just had. <laughs> I wanted it to be a little bit warmer when I woke up. I wanted, I don't know, 15 or 20 things before I even got out of bed. There are lots of wants. There are thoughts that arise that are wants. I didn't actually grab on too many of those wants. You know, the want came up, it came, it went. But I did notice how much wanting was happening. (laughs) A lot of wanting this morning. A lot of wanting. And at the root of those wantings was the mistaken notion that if I had those things, I'd be happier. I'd be more content. I'd be more comfortable. Hmm, maybe. Maybe that's even true. But for how long? For how long? I hadn't been up very long before I decided that I was really glad that the window was open and it was cool as it was. (laughs) It was really a short period of time. How do we think about desire? How do we think about greed? What do you think the difference is? How do you think they're different? Desire. Desire all by itself is not a bad thing. Desire can be quite wholesome. The desire to be open-hearted is a, is a wholesome desire. So it happens to be one of, one of my intentions in life is to be an open-hearted person. And over the years where I've held that intention, that intention has taken on many flavors. And the wanting around that has taken on many flavors. So for a while, I kept thinking about, what do I have to do to be open-hearted? I can do this, I can do this, I can practice that. I need to do more of this. Maybe I should do more metta. But lately, it has come to me that in order to be open-hearted, I have to actually do less. That open-hearted has to do with allowing things to be true. So instead of making myself vulnerable, I have to be willing to be vulnerable. 
very different thing. To just be willing to be vulnerable. And the difference between them is that leaning into grasping thing. Right? So if I'm going to make myself vulnerable, then somehow things aren't okay the way they are. Whereas allowing myself to be vulnerable is about letting go of defenses. It's more a letting go action than a grabbing action. And that's an important distinction when we talk about whether something is wholesome or unwholesome. It's that grabbing onto and that I must part that is creating the clinging that is suffering. That is where suffering arises. So that an intention to be open-hearted can create suffering if it becomes something that drives your life. As soon as it becomes something you must have, you are no longer free. You are no longer free. You're not even approaching freedom. Greed is an unquenchable thirst. I must have this. I must have more of this. I can't let go of this because I need this. It's lusting. I lust after this. When I was a a little girl, when I was like nine or ten, I saw this car that I said, wow. Now, I didn't know from cars. I grew up in a small town in Montana, and the cars were all Ford and Chevy sedans and station wagons and a few pickup trucks. That was it. And I saw this car, and I said, wow, I need that car. I was 10. I knew nothing. (laughs) But I still remember that car, and I remember how much I wanted that car. Probably it was a decade later before I found out what it was. I remembered the initials on the car. It was an XKE. (laughs) And I wanted that car. Now... You know, half a century later, I no longer remember what was going on in the mind of that little girl that she wanted that car. But I suspect it had something to do with its being exotic, you know, different than the Fords and Chevys. I, sus- I, I certainly didn't appreciate that it was a, a fast car or that it drove well. or I didn't understand any of that because I hadn't driven anything. What did I know? I probably liked the sleek lines. It represented something to me that I wanted. This is a very important characteristic of wanting. Sometimes we say, I want that. I want that scarf. That scarf goes perfect with my... But do I really want that scarf? Or do I want to look graceful, like that, that scarf will make me look graceful. One of the things that we need to do is look at what we want and look at our wanting it to understand that very often what we think we want isn't what we're wanting. I want this car because it makes me look cool. I want this because... Name what it is. So there's this lusting after something. Not always do we know what it is we're lusting after, even when we lust after it. There, it can be um, a lack of generosity and compassion. Okay, so, so if I'm looking at desire as, um, I really, I need that scarf. And you know, You've got a coat there. You don't really need that scarf. You should give me that scarf. That kind of wanting. You know, that where, where we, I need more than you. I need, I need this. And why do I need this? Because I'm feeling a lack. I'm feeling not quite right. So I, I want to fill that lack with something. I was recently on um, a two-week retreat And sometime in the middle of this retreat, I became aware that I had this wanting. I could feel 
the wanting in my body. It, there was a, a kind of a vacancy and, and um, an emptiness. And right away, my mind started to fill it with what I wanted. It was telling me what I wanted. The mind was just going like crazy. Well, what you want is, and there were a whole list of things I wanted, you know, short-term things I wanted, like more comfortable shoes, <laughs> whatever it was. Or I said, well, that's silly. That can't be what's coming up now. I'm on retreat, so it must be bigger than that. I want, you know, world peace. Who knows? But it was, what I watched was the mind telling me that in response to this emptiness, I needed to do something. That there was a lack, and I had to fill it. There was a space, and I had to fill it. There's a great deal to be discovered about want and desire that is not obvious if you stop too soon. It's not obvious. This morning I read an article in the newspaper about a new uh, electronic uh, process. We'll call it a process. It involves some hardware. But basically... Uh, people like MasterCard, I can't, try, can't think now what the name of it was called, ShopNow. MasterCard has a new technology called ShopNow, which allows you, as soon as you see something in an ad, you can click on the barcode and buy it immediately. Immediately. And you can do it in a newspaper, you can do it uh, from an ad on a billboard or an ad on a poster. You can do it from, uh, from your computer, obviously. You can do it with your phone, you know, just point the phone and MasterCard buys it for you right now. And part of the reason is to get rid of, you know, people will put things in their shopping carts and then they, they wise up and they just go away. And they want you to do it immediately so that you actually buy everything that you lust after. Now, this struck me as incredibly dangerous. Very convenient, very convenient. But, you know, I used to have a habit of going through catalogs and turning down the corners of pages. You know, and months later, I'd go back and I'd say, I don't even see anything on there I wanted. Now, with MasterCard Shop Now, you can buy it now. (laughs) And later think, why did I do that? There is The title of the article in the newspaper, by the way, was Instant Gratification. We can fill that empty place just like that. But we never learn anything about why are we suffering. We just accumulate more stuff to manage. I don't want to pick on MasterCard, by the way. There were lots of other people who had similar kinds of technologies. You can do this on your TV. You know, it's truly frightening. Because that ability to just step back and take a couple of minutes to say, what am I really wanting? What's really going on here? Is just crucial. It's truly crucial. One of the things that instant gratification does is it reinforces the idea that happiness comes from outside us. Happiness does not come from outside us. Does not come from outside us. It is a formula for suffering. A formula for suffering. So, if desire is about wanting something out there, Wanting something out there, wanting something different, wanting something better, wanting something more. You know, how do we recognize it? You know, and and what's wrong with it? So let, I like chocolate. So what's wrong with my buying a chocolate bar? Maybe nothing. Unless I decide that the only way I can be happy is if I have that chocolate bar, and if I don't have that chocolate bar, the rest of my day is going to be ruined. And I, you know, I've become obsessed about that chocolate bar. As soon as there's this I must feeling about the wanting, it's a good time to say what else is happening here. Maybe I want that chocolate bar not because of chocolate, but because I think chocolate will fix the fact that I'm nervous or that I'm restless or that I'm whatever it is. There's something about 
making it into the source of my happiness, the source of my peace, the source of my calm. And it doesn't have to be chocolate. It can be, if I don't meditate, my whole day is going to be ruined. I can't, I, I, I will be restless all day. It's all about fantasy. As soon as we say, without that, I will be unhappy, it is unwholesome. It becomes something else, even if it is generally a wholesome thing. And there are lots of things we can want. We can want the perfect house. We can want happy children. We can want grandchildren. We can want a vibrant career with great pay. We can want a special thing in our house. We can want the ability to dance. If I could just dance well, then I would fit in with my friends better. That's been the whole problem. I just have to dance well. The mind's ability to decide what's going to make us happy is just infinite. Infinite. There's emotional wanting. I want the respect of others. So I'm going to do this thing because this will give me the respect of others. I want to be seen a certain way. I want, suppose I say, well, you know, I'd, re- I'd really love to just wear jeans today, but, you know, if I wear jeans, people are going to think, well, what's wrong with her? She you know, doesn't respect us. As soon as I start thinking that way, I am creating suffering for me. I'm creating suffering. Maybe it's just wanting to be seen wanting to be seen. It can be environmental. It can be, um, if I just had a stable home life, I'd be happy. Maybe. Maybe then you'd be bored. <laughs> or, or I become obsessed about political justice. If this, isn't, if this doesn't change, I can never be happy. How can that be true? How can that really be true? Or we create other things like mental challenges. If I just had a stimulating conversation one day a week, I'd be happy. Or if I were a better person this wouldn't be happening to me. Whoa. All of the ways that we undermine ourselves by what we want just aren't obvious. So there are skillful desires, there are unskillful desires. One can change into the other just by the inability to let go of it the inability to let go of it, the strength with which we grab onto it, the strength with which we believe it, we're creating suffering. The mind grabs onto it and doesn't want to let go. So what do we do about all of this? One thing that we can do is we can look at its impermanence. Look at its impermanence. When we realize, you know, this is going to change tomorrow. This is going to be, this new thing is going to be old the minute I buy it. (laughs) That my desire for it is also impermanent. You know, if I were friends with that guy, that guy tells great jokes. If I were just friends with him, I'd be laughing all the time. It would just be great. And then after a while, the jokes are really stale. You notice that this guy hogs the conversation, and you never get to say anything. And pretty soon you're saying, why did I want to be this person's friend? What was I thinking? And what we're really doing is projecting ourselves into something. I'm going to be this if I get that. I'm going to be this if I get that. Or we might say, ooh, this is going to change any minute, so I have to be quick and smart to take advantage of it right now (laughs) because tomorrow it won't be here. 
We do that about our health. We do that about, oh, people. We do it about opportunity. I have to do this right now. It becomes very important to be able to see our desire, to see the nature of the desire, to know truly what it is, to see beyond what's right in front of us to what underlies it, what else is there. And maybe, just maybe, take a little bit of a different view toward it. Notice whether it has to whether it's sensual in nature, emotional in nature, mental in nature, environmental in nature. It will give you some idea of what's driving you and where you're creating suffering for yourself. You know, when I was on retreat and I became obsessed with this whole thing about wanting and I, I was, no, I'm not going to want that. I'm just not going to want. I'm not going to want. And then pretty soon, I found myself in tears, not over the wanting, but over the suffering I was creating for myself through all that wanting. There wasn't even a thing I wanted. The movement of my heart toward that was just creating misery. And what I developed was a compassion toward my, my own suffering a compassion toward that need to fix, toward that need to create. Oh, oh, how sad. How sad to be so obsessed with something. When you, when you want something and you get in the habit of wanting, you know, I gave up wanting an XKE, really, pretty early. Um, but there are lots of things you might decide I've got to have this this is what I do in my day every day I go to I go to Starbucks because that's the special thing I do for myself every day and if you don't get to do that are you then unhappy and does something that is bringing you pleasure actually creating suffering in your life because of the compulsion to do it This is what addiction is about. There are many kinds of addiction. You can be addicted to your computer. It's another thing that the retreat was interesting about. I I realized I'd wake up every morning, I couldn't look at my iPhone to check the news. Wow, what a compulsion. The other thing to look out for is conceit a desire to be a certain way. I don't mean conceit like arrogance, although that is another example of of desire run amok. The conceit that I am a certain way. That's, That's an element of greed also. It's how I want to see myself. It's how I want other people to see me. It's the belief I have about myself. And I'm going to hold on to that belief because that makes me feel secure. And so I don't see anything except that belief about myself. That's the conceit. And I can be creating suffering for myself as a consequence. So uh, last weekend, my husband and I went to his 50th high school reunion in Chicago. Now, I knew one other couple there, but otherwise, everybody there was a stranger to me. And what was interesting was to watch how everyone had opinions about one another based on who they were in high school. Now, because I didn't have any of that baggage of knowing who anybody was in high school, I just saw them as they are today. What a difference. So there was, you know, the class president who had to be the class president, even if it doesn't fit who he is today. 
He had to go around. There were expectations. There was the burden of that expectation of who he was. There were the cliques, the relationships between one another. People who had not seen each other in 25, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, you know, we're gonna go, i got to find my friends. we got to be over in this corner. And then they looked at each other and said, oh, no, you're not quite what I remembered. <laughs> fascinating. It was fascinating to watch that. Former uh, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, the awkwardness of coming together and looking for what is no longer there or might still be there. Expectations. A lot about desire is tied up with expectations. The desire for things to be as they were or to not be as they were is a source of suffering. There was envy. Envy. Ooh. That guy, you know, he just told me about his house on the lake. Wow, he's doing, I guess he did really well. <clears throat> then you find out he's been battling cancer. and you know. Ah, what does it mean to do well? What does it mean about your life? Envy. Scorn. Ugh, those are the engineers over there. They were all the nerds. <laughs> you kind of look at this. And, and you realize we do this in our lives all the time. But over the course of the weekend, those preconceived notions began to give way to actually seeing what's true now. And what I watched was people soften. They softened toward one another. They started just looking at them and saying, okay, you're not who you were. Who are you? Who are you now? Who are you? And that that instead of imposing something on, that openness that sort of relaxes back and lets go of what was true before caused everybody to soften and be open to something different. One of the things I'd like to talk about is the role of mindfulness in dealing with desire. Because we're not trying to get rid of desire. What we're trying to do is understand it so that we can understand the patterns of our life that are causing suffering. So that we can see, oh, this is how I react when that happens. You know, I tend to be a doer. I have to do something about something all the time. So the practice for me is to notice I'm in the, i got to fix that mode and just let it be there. Now maybe it's something that needs to be fixed. But maybe I need to just give it a minute before I fix it. Maybe... I'll discover it doesn't need to be fixed. So we need to see when there's clinging, when there's contraction. It sometimes helps to focus on the strength of that clinging. So when we got home the other night, we got home about midnight, our time. And we'd already had three meals during the day. We had breakfast, lunch, and dinner before we left Chicago. And then, gee, it was eight hours later by the time we got home. And I was starving. I was certain I needed to eat. But you know what? It actually was midnight, and about ten minutes later, I realized I I wasn't hungry. But I sure wanted to go to the refrigerator and see what was in the refrigerator. And I noticed that I got... The anxiety that arose out of just being at home. Oh, I'm at home. I'm going to make myself comfortable. I'm going to sit down. I'll have something to eat. It was was a habit that was manifesting and not that I was hungry. It was part of the, oh, I'm going to settle in and be here at home. I'm in my sanctuary. I'm going to eat. Well, fortunately, I didn't have to eat. But we can develop compassion for how strong that urge is. We can see, oh, I really, I really want that. 
and see how strong it is and focus on the wanting and not what it is we want. It might prevent a few mistakes. I'm only going to be happy if I'm in a relationship. Might be true, probably isn't. What is it I want? Maybe I want security. Maybe I want company. Maybe I want to be free of something. Maybe I want someone to take care of me. It is wiser to look at those things, to understand the want in terms of how it really relates to us, as opposed to deciding on an object that is going to make us happy or a condition that's going to make us happy because those conditions are changing all the time. We can call it by its true name. So when we see something that we want, do we want it out of envy? It's not really because we're bad people and we want everything in the world, but maybe we just envy that that person looks so content. Or maybe we envy the fact that we think they don't have to worry about bills. When we call it by its true name, we can relate to it in a different way. And we can relate to it in a way that is more closely what is true in this moment. So, the antidotes to greed. The antidotes to greed, I've spent a lot more time talking about what it is than what, to, than, than what the antidotes are, but you can cultivate selflessness, detachment, and contentment. Selflessness, detachment, and contentment. See that you are not what you like. See that you are not what you like. Maybe I like that. So in order to li- that, because I like that, I have to have that. But maybe liking that isn't the same thing. When I look at this scarf, this scarf is beautiful for her, but it would not be good for me. Oh, I can see this difference. I don't have to be a chocoholic. When I was in high school, I decided I hated chocolate. And it was a mental trick to prevent myself from eating chocolate because I had lots of zits, and it caused my zits to get even worse. I had acne really bad. So I decided I hated chocolate. So to this day, although I I actually love chocolate, it wasn't until I was about 30 that I started eating chocolate again. So my relationship to chocolate is pretty neutral, actually. I can like like it and not need it anymore because I know I'm capable of saying I don't like it at all. So this, this detachment, this understanding that wanting something isn't a permanent condition and that you cannot want something is pretty important. So cultivate a certain amount of detachment. I love the Tesla S. And if I could have any car in the world, that's the one I'd like to have. But I know I'm not going to buy that car. So I am detached about it. When I saw one on the road today, I said, oh, look at that great car. And I was happy for the person who was driving it. Because I'm really detached from having that car. There's a lot of freedom there, so I can enjoy seeing it now without, oh, I wish I had it. That kind of detachment you can cultivate. Do it with something easy. Do it with something easy. Let go of things. Practice letting go of things. There is renunciation. 
that has to do with just seeing what does it feel like to let go of it. I am not advocating becoming an ascetic, that you don't get anything that you like. I am saying, see what happens when you let yourself not get something you want. What does it feel like? Do you feel deprived? You feel a sort of sense of smugness. and <laughs> See, I can do that. You know? See what happens when you don't do it. And it gives you an idea of how strong the grasping is in your desire. What happens if I don't do it? What happens if I don't have that? What happens if I let go of that desire? Just see what happens. Cultivate it. And cultivate contentment. Cultivate contentment. What do I mean by that? Notice when you're content. Notice. Wow, that actually feels good. So that you know what contentment feels like in your body. So that the next time you want something, you can check in with your body and you might discover you're actually content. And that that's just, it's just a desire. It isn't something you have to have. It isn't something you have to change. It isn't something you have to fix. Oh. But you have to be able to recognize contentment. We get so used to looking for how to make ourselves more comfortable that we don't notice when we're content. One way to do this is to practice gratefulness. You'd be amazed what that does. So, So when someone says to you, thanks, or they say to you, Thank you. You can tell the difference, not because of the words, but because of the energy and the, the heart that goes behind it. And when you say, when you stop and notice, just notice for yourself, wow, that is so great. There is peace that arises there. And it is a way of understanding and getting used to noticing contentment. And sometimes when you say mentally or out loud, thank you, it puts a it breaks that wanting. It, it just breaks the wanting. Oh, because you take a moment to allow another feeling to be there. These are development of the wholesome roots around desire. Practicing contentment Practicing gratitude, practicing generosity, giving something away. I watched, I watched someone uh, who had just bought a pair of new uh, sunglasses. They were very expensive sunglasses to fit over uh, eyeglasses. They were very cool looking. And, and he was talking to somebody about the other, the, the, the other person, and the other person said, well, you know, I, I just can't afford to think about sunglasses right now, and, and you know, I, it's, it's, I, I got I too much trouble right now. I just, and he said, well, try these on, and he tried them on, and then he gave them to him, and he'd only had them a couple of weeks. And I said, wow. It was such a spontaneous expression of generosity, just a, an unplanned, here, they look great on you, take them. The other person was just stunned. (laughs) Wow. Even though he'd been, the first person had been wanting these sunglasses and thinking about how he was going to do it and not sure he could, and he finally got them, and he didn't hold on to them. He just gave them away. That kind of practice opens the heart, softens the heart, is a complete antidote to greed. It doesn't have to be something expensive. It can be something small. It can be giving somebody else the larger piece of cake. <laughs> the practice of letting go of something that you want, of giving something away, not because you no longer want it, but because it just, oh, that feeling, that feeling creates peace. Notice it. Notice what it is like to let go of something that you like. 
oh, you like that? I've had that for a long time. Take that. It's great. I had, a, I had a little egg that had an etched deer on it. And, I've been carry, and it was crystal, crystal egg. I've been carrying that egg around for, I don't know, maybe 30 years. And somebody came in and said, wow, that is really great. You know, I collect eggs. And I said, take it. Take it. That person was going to, for that person, it was fresh, it was new, it it had so much more joy attached to it with that person than if I had kept it. So much more joy. I, it felt wonderful. It's just, a, it's just an easy thing to do. To, you know, I don't miss that egg at all. So I want to say something about intention. A large part of the unwholesomeness of an action or the wholesomeness of an action has to do with the intention behind it. When we're dealing with greed, when we're dealing with desire, paying attention to our intention in the moment, in the moment, is going to tell us something about what about desire creates suffering. So, if we take the example of giving something to someone or renouncing something, what is our intention in doing that? Is it generosity? Is it, I want people to see that I'm generous? Is it... uh, I want to be see myself as generous. I want to become a good person. These intentions have the feeling of grasping to them. But if my intention is, oh, you're going to have a lot more fun about this than I am. Or my intention is curiosity. I wonder what will happen. Is there much more wholesome intentions we can have gross intentions you know like my I want to be open hearted intention which is a really big thing but in every moment to be open hearted is going to be a lifetime practice a lifetime practice We can have the intention of goodwill towards someone. An intention of goodwill. When I'm feeling particularly like everybody has taken my marbles and I have to circle the wagons around my marbles, that's a good time for me to think about wishing somebody else something. There's a house in my neighborhood that is gorgeous, absolutely stunning. Lots of beautiful outbuildings, and it has, uh, uh, it has a full-time gardener. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. It has cherry wood floors and an enormous, beautiful kitchen. The place is just stunningly beautiful. And I noticed envy. I noticed, ooh, 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 I would love to have that... Mm. That thing. And then I said, actually, I'm quite content with my house. I don't want to have to take care of all this stuff. I don't really want all of this stuff. And I converted that envy into mudita, into sympathetic joy for the people who live there. I said, how wonderful. They have this beautiful place to live in. So by, by shifting from envy to I'm, I'm really happy you have that now that's not easy in the case of this house it was pretty easy because when I thought about it I realized I didn't want to have to take care of something like that and it was easy for me to slide into that but that, that same movement can happen I can look at 
Emily over here and her scarf and say, I'm really happy you have that scarf. It's beautiful. And I can genuinely feel happiness for her, for her scarf. Something easy. Practice with something easy. Notice something about someone. Tell them, I like that color. What this does is cultivate in your heart generosity, which is the antidote to greed and desire. So, when you find yourself wanting something, notice what is making me uncomfortable. Where is it in the body? Because you can feel want in the body. No question. Do I have a choice? And then watch what your decision is. Don't judge your decision. It's neither a good nor a bad decision. Notice your decision. Note, oh, this is what I've decided. And then hold that lightly. Ah, notice. Did that make me happy? What are the consequences? Reflect on what's happening. Reflect before, during, and after. And notice. This is a wisdom practiced in the end. The antidote to greed is wisdom and open-heartedness, generosity, the ability to sit with an open hand instead of a closed fist. So I'm going to close with another poem. This one is by Mary Oliver, and this one's called Mindfulness. Mindful, just mindful. So you remember Holly's poem, about needing just one more osprey coming across the sky. So here's what Mary has to say. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It's what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these, the untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. May you find joy in noticing what is around you. May you be free of needing to hold it. Thank you. So I didn't leave much time for questions, I apologize, but... Do we have a minute if, if there's anything that somebody wants to comment or? No. Thank you. So, I'll be back here for the next two weeks. I look forward to seeing you all then. Bye bye. Thank you. <laughs>